Good morning, Victory Church. How you doing? Good morning. Good morning. My name is Troy. My wife, Darla, and I get the absolute privilege to pastor this church. And if you are visiting with us, uh, first of all, let us just say welcome. So glad that you're joining us today. Um, also, uh, just to kind of reiterate what Zoe said, we really want to encourage you to fill out one of those connection cards, whether you do it online or with the, the card that's in front of you, and then take that to the Welcome Center, not only to get a gift from us, but also so that our team can reach out and to connect with you. I, I'm always a believer that the best thing about church is the family fellowship aspect. And so as people are able to reach out to you and get you connected and find out how you can belong, whether it be a small group, whether it be serving on a dream team, uh, so many opportunities. And so do that for us. Again, welcome. And then as everybody's been talking about, next Sunday is what a lot of people consider the Super Bowl Sunday of the church world. Uh, uh, But let me explain to you why that's the case, in case you're not familiar with it, in case you just kind of know it for uh, what it is. Uh, one, of the, one of the big reasons I think it matters to the church is obviously the cel- celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But I'm one of those believers that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ every Sunday, right? Yeah. It's not just Easter Sunday. But here's the catch for Easter Sunday. It's the one Sunday where just about everybody is open to visiting church. Um, and so it's a great opportunity to invite somebody to church. And because if you believe that Christ is the, the resurrection, the life-changing God that he is, then you want people to come into this place and hear that. Um, and so it's just a, just a real easy opportunity. If there's somebody you've been wanting to invite for a while, you don't know when, this Sunday coming up is the Sunday. Um, we will launch two services. We will have the egg hunt on Saturday. So there's so much happening within Victory Church to be able to open the door for you to invite family, friends, so they can come and give their heart to Jesus and start to live for him. Amen? Uh, I do want to say thank you to every person that gives financially to Victory through your tithes and your offerings. We're able to do so much in the four walls, but also outside of the four walls. And you've heard us announcing for a couple of weeks about collecting the books. Uh, we, we, we did take, we delivered five baskets of books to Eagle View Elementary School this week. Come on, put your hands together for that. Yes. And so for those of you that provided books, for those of you that provide financially so that we could purchase books, thank you to Zoe and Janelle that put those baskets together and dropped them off. We're still receiving books now, so it looks like we're going to do kind of an extra drop as well. Um, And then obviously after Easter, I'll start talking to you about some exciting things that we're doing in the community after that, because obviously the egg hunt is the big thing we're doing right now. But thank you. Thank you for those of you that give every week. Um, Hopefully you are seeing your finances, finances steward well as we not only serve as a church here to you and your family, but also our community. Amen? Amen. Uh, before we get into the Word, real quick, we're going to do something just, just for a second, something real special. Um, you have probably heard me talk about uh, a gentleman by the name of Hodge Patterson, the executive director of The Y. I've talked a lot about our relationship, not only as a church, uh, community engagement, but also just mine and his relationship. And so I want to share something that's happening in their life. So real quick, before I get into it, I want to invite Hodge and Kelly. Guys, go ahead and put your hands together as Hodge, his wife, Kelly, come up here for a second. Oh, you bring him. Is that Hodge Jr.? Hodge Jr. in the building. Look, this, this is, look, me and him, we're just tight, okay? Me and Hodge Jr., there's no telling what might be about to happen on this stage. If I'd have known you were coming, bro, I'd have got you a mic because you're just always... How you doing? You miss me? Yeah. Yeah. Good to see you. Um, so this is Hodge, Kelly Patterson, Hodge Jr., and then Mac. Is Mac in the nursery right now? Mac's in the nursery. Um, so again, about, what, maybe 14, 16 months ago, is that when you we came on to staff at the Y? Yeah. Around that time frame? 
So I was involved in the interviewing process, and when Hodge came in, we knew right off the bat that he was the guy for that position, um, and then it just kind of proved that from day one. I mean, we took off. Our relationship grew uh, into, what you know, best friends. You know, Kelly's jealous of our relationship, <laughs> which is what I think is important. Um, but you guys have heard so many things from the Domestic Abuse Center, Christmas presents, to uh, Healthy Kids Day, to the, the race, the golf tournament. I'm trying to think of all the things we've done together. Um, we've got, we've got, we're going to do the renovation in the Domestic Abuse Center coming up in May. There's just been a lot of things that we as a church have done with the YMCA and continuing to do with the YMCA. And, but a lot of it's been your vision and your heart for the community and just your leadership. And so it's been exciting to partner with them. And uh, a couple months ago, Hodge, we, we met in your office and there was a great opportunity for him and his family uh, to be able to go and take, take on. Now, I don't want to miss, I know it's, is it still an executive director position? It's the CEO role. CEO role. Okay. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's, the, it's the CEO role of the Santa Monica Y. And so we got together, and, and he just said, hey, man, this is happening. What do you think? And uh, I, I knew what God was doing in him and Kelly's life, and, and I just, we just prayed together. We sat together, and we prayed together, and I just told him, I said, you're so gifted that if God wants you to have that job, you're going to get that job. And, and sure enough, uh, he, the, going through the interview process, got the job. And so they'll be moving to take over the CEO position of the Santa Monica Y. Come on, put your hands together for that. Isn't that incredible? And... Um, and so I, I, I told him, I said, it's bittersweet for us because obviously we love what that's going to mean for Kelly and for him and for their family. We love what it's going to mean for Santa Monica, but we hate what it means for us, right? Uh, anytime somebody transitions, you know, I'm losing a great friend. I don't know who I'm going to talk to every day now to share my problems with, but uh, I just wanted to take a second. I wanted to pray over them. Darla, I want to invite you up just for a second. Um, I wanted to honor them in front of you guys, just their, what they've done, their leadership, uh, their, their heart for victory as well as their heart for our community, Rutherford County, Davidson County, um, and then just an, an awesome opportunity that God's going to use them. And here's what I think is important more than anything. They're going to do great things for the Y organization, but I think they're going to do great things for Jesus. You know what I mean? And I think it's important for us to pray and believe that. And so I'm going to invite you guys just kind of center stage, you know, just so we can lay hands on you. Would you do me a favor? Just kind of reach your hands out and agree and pray with us. Father, we thank you right now for Hodge, for Kelly, for Hodge Jr., for Matt. We thank you for what you're doing in their life. We thank you for the calling and the anointing on their life. And Father, we thank you for this opportunity. You, you are, according to scripture, you're, you're the God of a continual moving upward. That's how you operate in our lives. There's always better, always greater. And Father, even though we're losing them here in, in our area, we know that Santa Monica is gaining not only great leadership, but hearts for you, Jesus. And so I pray for, your fam I pray for their family to be blessed Father, as your word says, generation, generation. Father, I believe that Hodge Jr. and Mac are going to be blessed. I believe that the YMCA is going to be blessed. We pray favor over Kelly, over all of her relationships, over her ministry, over her career. Father, we pray blessings over Hodge's career that you would just continue to open doors and give opportunity, not only for them to advance, Father, in, in the secular world, but also to make advancement for your kingdom. Father, we pray right now for a great church. They, they find a great church to get involved in, to be able to serve, to be able to bring leadership to. We pray continual favor over this family. We pray favor over their marriage. We pray favor over their finances. Father, you know every need that they have, and we know that you're going with them, protecting them, watching over them. And Father, we just pray that you would bless them. We pray that they would never forget what Victory Church means to them, that every time they're in town, they'd come and visit and be with us. That, Father, we thank you for giving us family in Santa Monica so that we can all go stay with them in their house. 
and enjoy the beach, Father. Thank you for our relationship. Thank you for letting us meet them. And again, we just pray your hand over their life. We give you all the glory and all the praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen. This is just for you. I, things I couldn't say in public. I said on a card, man. Appreciate it. Love you, buddy. Love you. Miss Kelly, love you. Hey, I hear you've been doing something. You got to do it for me real quick. I hear you've been saying we're going to Santa Monica. What is it? But we'll visit. Is that what it is? Give me the visit. Give me the visit gun. Do it for me. You're not going to do it for me? Say we'll come to visit. Come in to visit. Hey, put your hands together one more time. Kelly, Hodge. Hodge, Jr. Love you, man. Don't you? You want to stay up here with me just for fun? No? Okay. He just, we can kind of co-preach if you want to. Just go back and forth. Uh, hey, thank you guys so much for allowing us to do that I, again. Um, I just thank God so much for relationships in my life. And anytime that I believe God's blessing somebody, I just want to be a part of it and certainly want God to walk with them. Amen. Hey, if you got your Bibles, turn to the book of Mark, book of Mark chapter 4, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We are in this series. This is also true. We'll bring it to a close next Sunday on Easter Sunday, and the series has been all about presenting a truth that may be negative, right? A truth about the idea that uh, we may have doubt or the truth about the idea that we may have a past, but then also bringing in what I believe is, is the truer truth, which is God's truth, that although we have a past, we also have a future, or although that we may have doubt. We also have faith, and I want to talk to you about something I think is going to hit pretty close to home for all of us. So Mark chapter 4, we're going to start reading at verse 35. As you're turning there, you can do it uh, on your phone, you can do it in the Bible in your hand, or you can do it on the screen. I'll read it when we get into it. It says, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, this is Jesus, let us go over to the other side. So they have just done this miracle. They've just watched Jesus do a great miracle. And he says, now let's travel to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along. So this time Jesus is with the disciples. And just as he was, they took Jesus just as he was in the boat. So the disciples and Jesus this time get in the boat. We talked probably one of the first messages in this series about the time that they were in the water and Jesus was not in the boat, but he came on the water and, and Peter walked on water. This time, Jesus is in the boat. Everybody say, in the boat. He's in the boat. There were also other boats with him. So now we've got multiple boats. A furious squall. Everybody say, squall. squall. That'll be important in the end of the message. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, watch this, sleeping on a cushion. I love that. I think that's incredible detail for this. Uh, the disciples woke him, and they said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? What are you doing? Wake up. Save us. Jesus got up. He rebuked the wind, and he said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He then said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still not have faith? You just watched me do all of this. Where is the faith? They were terrified. Terrified at all that had just happened. Terrified at the greatness of God. Terrified that this man could speak to the weather. And they asked each other, who is this? Who is this guy? Even the wind and the waves obey him. I want to talk to you from this idea real quick this morning. I'm in trouble, but I'm not troubled. I'm in trouble, but I'm not troubled. I am an individual. I don't know how many of you are like me. I really appreciate peace. Uh, I like when things, when nothing's happening. I don't like drama. 
Uh, I don't like to be around people who are drama. When they bring me drama, I like to say, Darla, you should really talk to this person. And I like to move on. I, I, I prefer things to be very smooth. You know what I mean? Every time somebody calls me, I assume the whole world is going under. Every time I get an email, because I just like, I would really like for nothing, nothing to go wrong. You know what I mean? Anybody with me? You're just like, I would really love it if we could just have a great day and not experience any trouble. And here's the problem. Not only does our culture not allow that, I chose the career path that is the worst for that, right? Because not only do I have to deal with all of my trouble, but I get to walk through your trouble with you. And so not only do I, if I have a good day, it's great, but you might not have a good day. So I have 365 days of trouble a year, all right? We just want to, you know, way to go, Troy. That's what you get. In case you ever want to go into ministry because you say, I'd like to preach on the stage, don't do it, okay? Don't do it. That's not the reason you go into ministry. But, but again, because I've walked with people for so long and because I'm a human being, married with two kids and a family and all these different things, I've come to learn this, that every one of us, every one of us have faced trials and experienced the troubles of life. I have found that troubles don't care about your ethnicity that troubles don't care about your pay bracket, that troubles don't care about where you live. Everybody experiences troubles. For example, we've got troubles like wars. We've got troubles like natural disasters and pandemics, uh, crisis, bad news, marriage strife, financial struggles, sickness, kids misbehaving. Right? I could go on and on and on, and at some point I'm going to acknowledge and label a trouble that you either have, are, or will experience. Now, the older I get, I learn that trouble can just come on you out of nowhere, right? Like you can just be kind of enjoying life and like, boo, there's trouble. Like it's not, it doesn't like prepare you. It's not letting you know it's coming. Like I think I've told you before, Darla and I were on vacation at the beach with my dad and uh, Veda was five or six years old and she's running to the house and everything's great. We're on vacation. We're at the beach. Nothing could go wrong. She slips. She hits her face on the ground. She busts her face open. She's bleeding. We have to rush her to the emergency dentist, right? Because trouble can come what? Out of nowhere, just boom. You can be on Lake Erie with your wife. Y'all remember this? In a paddle boat and enjoying life. You guys, work is going on. I'm not there. You know what I mean? Life is happening. We don't have kids, so we're on a vacation. I've been teaching y'all about this, not on a family trip. We're in a paddle boat, and all of a sudden, the stick that I've been watching because the Holy Spirit in me said that might be a serpent. And so I kept watching the stick and all of a sudden the stick went under the water and I thought that's not normal. And all of a sudden it popped back out and it was a snake. And then literally it started to chase us, <laughs> to kill us. And my wife is like, it's not a big deal. And I'm paddling backwards by myself. You know, like one minute I went from just the glory of my beautiful wife in the sun to the next minute considering, should I throw her overboard <laughs> to save my life? I'm the breadwinner, you know what I mean? My kids can't eat if I don't. They can't do anything else if Darla doesn't show up, but they can't eat if I don't show up. And so it just kind of comes out of nowhere. And I think that Christians often assume, or better yet, are taught, that once we come to Christ, once we give our life to Jesus, then our life is going to be followed by material blessings and a life without trouble. Right? I don't know if we made this up. I'm still trying to figure out. 
like whether we were taught this or whether it was just something we assumed and we kind of made it up, that once we start to follow Jesus, that now we won't experience any trouble anymore, that, oh, because I'm a Christian, I won't experience the trouble that non-Christians experience, or, or now that I believe in God and read my Bible and pray or come to church, right, now because of that, I won't experience trouble. And that's what we've been taught or assumed, and watch this, and then if that's not the case, if we do experience trouble, then we've been taught that it's either due to a lack of faith or a lack of good behavior, right? But when I study the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, I constantly see people who are following God and following Jesus coming face to face with trouble. Everywhere. I just, you know, let's just go through it a little bit. You know, it was Adam and Eve's children that committed the first murder, <laughs> right? Moses not only killed somebody, but got drunk and slept with his kids. It's in the Bible. You should read it. Joseph, his brothers attempted to kill him, right? Rachel couldn't have children. Sarah couldn't have children. David's son died. Like these are all troubles. And that's just a few of them. Samson was done wrong by a woman. There's so many, right? Okay, no? Okay. Um, <laughs> that not trouble for y'all? Okay. There, there, there's so many different things. That's just the Old Testament. We get in the New Testament. Every disciple, every disciple except for one was murdered for their faith. And the other one died on an island by themselves. Paul, this is so cool. I'm thinking about preaching on this at some point in our lifetime as a church. Um, they called them the super apostles. Super apostles would show up. And it'd be like, imagine if, if before I came up to preach, somebody, let's say Zoe got up and she, she gave off all of my accomplishments before I got up to preach. You know, so she was like, you know, on staff in Memphis for 17 years, graduating Bible college, da, 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 give it up for Troy Powell. And I came up and y'all were like, yeah, it's great. You know, that, that's how super apostles were introduced. They would introduce all of their accomplishments. But Paul, watch this, Paul was the first apostle who would come up and introduce himself by all of the troubles that he had gone through. He's like, this is what I've been through to be able to follow Christ, Right. All throughout scripture. So whatever this belief system is that we have, that as we choose to follow God, there won't be trouble, it's not accurate. Every person that chose to follow God still experiences trouble. I say it like this. The certainty of trouble applies not only to our biblical heroes, but to every follower of Jesus. Everybody's like, this is going to be a fun sermon. We're excited about this one. Just depressing right off the bat. You know what I mean? Like, we, is that it? That's it. You can go live your life. We're going to all experience trouble. Luckily, that's not it. Because while the trouble may not be from God, God redeems it. Right? Even though the trouble is a, a response to sin. I preached a message on this probably a couple of years ago. Uh, people ask the question all the time, what do bad things happen to good people? And I had to teach through the process that the bad thing is a result of our sin. It's out there. It's going to happen. But we don't just have to let it happen to us, right? God can take it and he can redeem it and he can add purpose to it. Think about it like this. Sometimes God changes our circumstances and he stops the storm. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes what you're dealing with, the trouble you're facing, the spirit of God will intervene and stop it. That does happen. So sometimes, as you're praying, the trouble you're facing will come to a stop. But there are also times where even though God didn't bring the trouble, he will allow the trouble, and he will use that storm to change 
us. I'll give you a real quick example. The first time we talked about storm was when Peter was in the boat and he walked on water. So God let that storm happen and Jesus or Peter walked on water and experienced God's Holy Spirit move in his life, okay? In this story, they bring up a storm and the Bible says that Jesus rebukes it and stops it. Sometimes Jesus stops the storm because he doesn't need to use it. Sometimes Jesus allows the storm and he uses it to change us. And we have to understand that's why anytime we experience trouble, we have to be willing to pray and allow the Holy Spirit to decide which one this is going to be. So here's, here's the ultimate promise that I want to make you. I remember I did a series on the promises of God, and they were all these great promises. I'm going to give you a promise that uh, you may not appreciate as much, but it's still a promise. And, and here it is. In this world, you ready? There will be trouble. If for any reason you think that because now you love Jesus, and now because you attend church regularly, now because you serve in the nursery, right, there's not going to be trouble, I'm here to promise you there will be trouble. But I got other promises for you too. So let's go back to Mark chapter 4 for a second. Let's go back to this story, and I, and I want to just show you this because I think it's so real, it's so accurate. There are times in the Bible, I think, where you and I can read and we can go, that's what I would have said right? Like there were moments where you're like, yep, that, that's, how, that's how I would have thought. So watch this. A furious squall came up. The waves broke over the boat. Now listen to me. When we read stuff like this, we just kind of read over it, right? We, we, we treat it like it was just some kind of storm. You know, here in the South, we get a lot of threats of bad storms and then we don't really get anything. And so we can kind of read it like maybe it was gray skies, it was overcast, but it's trying to let you know the boat is literally being covered in water, all right? Like this is a dangerous storm, Jesus is in the boat, he's sleeping on a cushion, and the disciples wake him up, and I love this part. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Like, Jesus, don't you care? Don't you, don't you care if I die? Don't you, don't you care if this hurts me? Don't you care if this breaks my heart? Don't you care if this upsets me? Don't you care? Right? Have you ever been there? When this trouble hits and you're like, Jesus, don't you care? Because watch this. If you cared, you would make it stop. If you cared, you'd make it stop. We've been taught that the absence of storms is the evidence of the love and presence of God. Once there's no storm, if there's ever a moment where the storm is not happening, then that right there, the fact that I'm not going through something, is the evidence that not only God is near, but that God loves me. Here's the problem with that. If you believe that statement, then if you reverse that statement, here's what it's saying. If you are in trouble, then it is a sign that God is not near you and that God does not love you. But that's what we've been going on believing, right? Something happens. Oh, God, why are you so far from me? We go through sickness or lose a job or, God, why have you abandoned me? Why does God hate me? Right? We find out, I guess I'm just not living right. We start to assign certain mindsets and attributes to the fact that we're in trouble. Oh, my marriage is experiencing trouble. I guess God's not near me. Oh, my finances are experiencing trouble. I guess God has abandoned me, right? That, that's what happens when you believe that the absence of storms means the presence and the love of God. Then the presence of storms must mean the absence of God's love and presence. 
not true. No one, including Christians, including you, no one is exempt from trouble. Look at the person beside you. Tell them, you're not. Do a much better job, please. Say, you're not exempt from trouble. You're not. Here's what I love, though. Jesus never pretended like life was going to be a walk in the park. There was never a point where Jesus sugarcoated faith so that you and I would agree to follow him only to be surprised by something later on. This is what I love about Jesus. Jesus is not political. He was not out trying to present something to us that would then lure us in, and then once we were in, he would go, boo, surprise. You know what I mean? It's like when you're thinking about having a child, and you start talking to parents who have children, and they tell you all the good things about having children, like, oh, they're so precious. It's going to change your life. And then you get pregnant, and they're like, boom, gotcha. You know what I mean? Like, ha-ha, now your life sucks too. Like, ha-ha-ha. You know what I mean? It's just one of the, just sorry. But you know, we think that's kind of what Jesus is doing. But that's not what he does. He doesn't sugarcoat it and then go, boom, watch this. From the very beginning, when it comes to trials and tribulations, you ready for this? Your Savior, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, guarantees them. Did you catch that? He guarantees them. Donald and I were in Panama City with our family one, one trip to go see my dad. And we got ready to go eat dinner, six or seven, eight of us, whatever it is. And we go into this restaurant. We walk in the front doors. And we meet with the little woman at the counter, you know, as we walk in. And we walk up and we say, you know, table for eight, please. It's like 630 at night, you know, Panama City. It's a big deal. And uh, she goes, okay, well, I need to let you know a couple things. She said, number one, our computers are down. I said, okay. She said, and our uh, waiting staff is short. I said, okay. And she goes, and I can pretty much guarantee that you're going to have bad service. What do you do with that? You know what I mean? You're not like, well, I have faith in you. We're going to make it work. You know what I mean? Like we did what every normal human being would do. We go, thank you. And we left. Because I've already been told that my experience is not going to be to my expectation of enjoyment. So how foolish would I be to go sit down at a table <laughs> and I would do it too. And about 10 minutes later, I'd be like, well, I can't believe this at all. This is terrible service. You know what I mean? Guess what? Guess what? I was told beforehand that I could expect terrible service. How foolish of us to get into a walk where we're following Jesus and then experience trouble and go, well, could you look at that? Can you believe it? I'm going to walk away from my faith. Why? Because I'm experiencing trouble. But he told you at the very beginning. He guaranteed it for you. What's interesting to me is in the Bible, people didn't quit following Jesus because of it. He told the disciples, we're going to have trouble. The disciples said, well, where else are we going to go? Because watch this. We're going to have trouble whether we follow you or not. So if the trouble is going to be guaranteed, I'd rather be in the boat with you than be in the boat by myself. Right? This has always been my mind. Why wouldn't we want to be followers of Jesus Christ? Well, I'm following Jesus, so I don't experience trouble. Well, that's not, an, that's not possible, so you can drop that. But here's what I will tell you. If you're going to experience trouble anyway, if you're going to experience financial trouble or marriage trouble or kids behaving or whatever it might be, 
then you might as well at least experience it with Jesus in the boat, right? I love that instead of promising to eliminate our, the trouble from our lives, Jesus instead promises to give us peace and comfort in the midst of the trouble. That's what a relationship with Jesus is about. You getting in a relationship with Jesus is not about him eliminating all the troubles in your life. You following Christ and getting up and reading your Bible and praying and coming to church is not about him going before you and removing every pothole that you could possibly fall in. It's him walking with you in the process. Sometimes he will say, hey, hey, watch out for that. Go around that. Sometimes you won't see it. You'll fall in. But because he's with you, he can reach in, grab you, and pull you out. So it's us understanding that he never promised for trouble to not come. He never promised for you to that you would not be in a situation that would be unenjoyable or heartbreaking or, or, or painful. He never said you wouldn't be. He just promised to be with you when it happens. He said it's going to happen, but I promise to be with you when it happens, right? So here's ultimately what he's saying. We can have problems and we can have peace. Did you check that? We can be in the middle of a problem and still have peace. Here's what he's saying. You will have problems. This is true. And you can have peace. This is also true. You will have problems. You are going to experience. You're going to have a time where your tire goes flat. You're going to have a time where you have some issues at your job and you have an uncomfortable conversation with a coworker or a boss. There's going to be some moments where you and your spouse might fight. There's going to be moments where you're asking God to protect your children. There are going to be moments in your life where you will have problems. But at the same time, if you trust the Spirit of God, in the midst of your problem, you will have peace. You say, that sounds foreign to me. How is that even possible? Well, there's a couple of reasons it happens. Number one, to set this up, i got to tell you the story. Veda is 13 now. She just turned, her birthday was last Saturday. She turned 13 years old. We, we officially have a teenager. So pray for us because, you know, you know we're, we're losing our minds. We're already kicking her out. You know what I mean? It's like, just get, it, get out of the house. But, but because of her getting older now, like, for example, she's starting to watch movies that, that we watch. You know what I mean? Movies that we've seen. And it's so much fun to watch a movie with her because she gets so invested in the movie. Like, she gets invested in the characters. You know, she, she, like, attaches. So if somebody does the character wrong in the movie, she'll be screaming at the other person. Like, you can't do them like that. And I'm like, babe, this is a movie. Like, someone wrote this script. You realize that, right? Like, this is acting. She'll get all mad. If somebody, you know, it looks like somebody's going to die, she gets all emotionally involved. But it's so much fun to watch the movie with her because I've already seen the movie, Right? So I already know what's going to happen. I already know, even though it looks like trouble, that somehow or another, the hero is going to end up winning, right? So while she's over here freaking out because she's not sure if PETA's going to die in the Hunger Games, right? She's losing her mind. I'm sitting over here all calm. Why? Well, part of it is because I don't care if PETA dies or not, right? <laughs> Matter of fact, I hope he does. <laughs> Only PETA I care about is bread. Can I get a hallelujah? Yeah. Now I'm hungry. Um, I don't care. But the other part of me is I know he doesn't. And so I can be in the room watching the same problem she's watching. And while she's concerned, I'm at peace. Why? Because I know how it ends. It'd be like watching a ball game that you recorded previously. You imagine that? 
Record a game, find out you already know your team wins, and then watch that game? How much fun would that be? You would already know. Don't, don't say that. You already know they, they won. It's exciting because you know they won. So every time they start to go under in the score, you would normally panic, but you're not panicking because you know they won. Does it make sense? The reason we can be in the midst of a problem and still have peace is because we know he wins. We know that no matter what, he has the best plan for us. We know that at the end, we get eternity in heaven with Jesus. So no matter how bad it might look, I can have peace in the midst of a problem because I know he wins. Let me say it like this. We will never be perfect. None of us in this room, no matter whether you think it or not, we will never be perfect. Our hearts, I love this, will never completely be free from sin, from fear, and from struggle while we're still living on this earth, which means, leave that up for me for a second, which means that even though you are saved by Christ, there's never going to be a moment where you are free from the potential of worrying about your current situation. It's never going to be a moment where the potential isn't there for that problem to overcome you. It's going to be there. Until you enter the gates of heaven, there's going to be, I'm not saying it's going to to happen, but the opportunity is there for you to become overwhelmed by your problem. It's there. It's there. It goes on to say, however, our eternity is secured. I will be in heaven with Jesus Christ because of what Jesus Christ did. So although problems happen on this earth and they are unfortunate, I am not overtaken by the situation because this is just a short period of time of my life. Scripture said that our life is like the blinking of an eye, which means I'm going to spend eternity in heaven with Jesus. And even though it feels like forever here, you know, we're in a really interesting season with Veda because we're talking through high school. And when you were in high school, it felt like an eternity, right? High school felt like your entire life. So if you weren't popular in high school, it was like, I might as well be done. Like, this is, if I'm not popular now, my life's over. Then you graduated high school and you realized, that guess what? Who cares about high school? Because it was such a small part of your life. And if we're not careful, we do the same thing with life here. Oh, I've got a problem. My whole life's over. But this is a short amount of time compared to eternity with Jesus Christ. So it's unfortunate, yes. It's painful, yes. But my eternity is secured. We've already won. Not because of ourselves, but because of Jesus, the one who can take away troubled hearts and make it new. How can I have peace and be in the middle of a problem? Because my perspective is on Jesus. And I understand that I am operating for eternity, not just right now. And so even though I'm in the middle of a problem, I have a supernatural peace because of my relationship with Jesus Christ. Does it make sense? As I was reading Mark chapter 4, I couldn't help but wonder how long it took them before they woke up Jesus. You know what I mean? Like they're in the boat and the storm is coming and the boat is rocking and the water is overcoming the boat. And as I'm reading it, I just, I'm just thinking, like how long, what was the process before somebody said, maybe we should wake up Jesus? He is, after all, the savior of the world. He did just feed like 20,000 people with a Captain D's number one. You know what I mean? So, so maybe, just spitballing here, you know what I mean? Just idea, maybe, just maybe, we should wake up Jesus. 
And I'm, I'm, I'm in the boat, and I realize, and this may not be you, but I think it is, all right? This is normally the five phases I go through before I would wake up Jesus, all right? If I'm in the boat and the storm's coming, or if I'm in life and trouble hits me, here's normally the five phases I go through before I wake up Jesus. Number, phase number one, you ready? Worry. Problem hits, complete worry. Oh, my goodness! <laughs> Storm coming. I think we're going to die. This is the end of it. Like phase one for me. I don't know about you. Maybe you're more spiritual than me. Maybe you should preach next Sunday. I'm cool with it. All right. I'm just telling you that in, when stuff happens, my first initial reaction is to worry. Like, oh gosh, I don't know. I don't know. Phase two for me, worry has gotten shorter and shorter over my, my years, right? But, but phase two for me is to figure it out. So phase one is I worry. Phase two is figure out how to stop it. So for them, phase one was, oh my goodness, we're going to die. Phase two was grab a row and let's try to get the, or an oar, whatever you call it, and let's row this boat out of trouble. Let's figure this out, all right? I'm going to get us, hey, you grab that, I got this, all right? Snow me the guy, give me in front, you give me your oar, I don't trust you, give me the oar, you know, we're going, right? I'm going to figure it out. You ever said that before? Yeah. I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. I don't know, I'll figure it out. Phase three is then to look to the other people that are in the boat to help me, right? So phase one is I'm completely freaked out. Phase two is I'm going to figure it out. Then what I think I'm going to do isn't working. So phase three makes me look to other people around me and go, can you help me figure it out, right? And here's phase four. I had to add this last minute because the Holy Spirit reminded me of this. And I, I, don't, I don't know if you have phase four, but this is phase four for me acknowledge that Jesus is in the boat but doubt that he wants to get involved right like Jesus is there I see him he's sleeping if he wanted to be involved he would have woken up right if he wanted to help me he would help me but he's choosing not to help me so he must not want to help me am I the only one I will preach to myself all day you know I worry first oh what am I going to do I try to figure it out next. Oh, this is what I'm going to do. It doesn't work. So then I look to other people who are smarter and more talented than me to help me figure it out. And they can't do it either. And then I have a moment where I acknowledge that God could help me, but I don't really think he wants to. For whatever reason. And then phase five is what we're reading in Mark chapter four. Phase five is I have given up. So now after I've tried everything I could possibly try to do, now I'll go wake up Jesus. But by the time, watch this, by the time I get to Jesus, I'm already assuming we're dead. You know what I mean? What are you doing? You just want me to die? Well, Jesus is like, how did it get here? Well, I tried to fix it. That's how it got here. I made it worse. You know what I mean? Donald's like, can you fix this in the house? I'm like, yes, I definitely can. And then when I'm done, we have to pay somebody to come fix it. Right? That's how I am with my life. Like by the time I get to Jesus, it's all, it's all gone to, you know, Hades in a handbasket, as they might say, right? Like, Jesus, help me. Well, why didn't I go to Jesus first? Why did I go through all of this before? He was in the boat. I got a prophetic word for some of you. Ready? Guess what? Surprise, he's in the boat with you. You thought you didn't go to church enough? He's in the boat. You thought you weren't spiritual enough? He's in the boat. You thought you hadn't prayed enough? He's in the boat. And he cares. That's why he's in the boat. 
but he's such a gentleman that he will stay asleep until you say you need him. I think Jesus wants us to know that you and I are not called to overcome the world because he already did. I think sometimes we get hit with stuff and we assume it's our responsibility to overcome it. Man, I got news about a family member and the sickness is real and it's, it's a lot further ahead than I thought it would be and they're talking about post plans and I just got to figure out a way to overcome it. Man, I lost my job and my rent's due and I got three weeks to find a job and I don't know how, but I'm going to, I just, I need to overcome it. You know, my kids are entering high school and I'm worried about the influence and I don't know who's going to come walking in the door. I don't know, if, I don't know, I don't know if they're going to be safe going to school. I don't know what's going to happen to my house when storms, I just, I, I got to find ways to overcome it. See what I'm saying? Listen to me. I am not diminishing problems. I was talking to our dream team this morning and it's been a rough week for us to experience the school shooting so close to home for a lot of us then to watch tornadoes go all around us and even near us and destroy people's homes I'm not please listen to me I'm not downplaying problems I'm not telling you to walk around with some kind of false like oh it ain't no big deal to me like it's a real thing the temptation though is that now you feel like you have to overcome it right I got to figure something out. I got to do this. I got, we got to do this. I got to, it's my job to overcome it. God said, it's not your job to overcome it. I already did. I already did that. You just have to acknowledge that I already did that. He said, you can have peace through me because the world hated me, but don't worry. I overcame the world. And even though you're in the world, watch this, you are in something he overcame. So even though I can be in trouble, I'm not overcome by trouble. I can be in trouble but still have peace because I serve the God, the one and only true God who overcame the world. And so even though it hurts and even though it's hard and even though it's heartbreaking and it's real and I may need to cry and I may need to change procedures and I may need to do certain things, that is true, but I can still have peace because I serve a God who overcame the world. Just because we can't control trouble doesn't mean that trouble is in control. Peace is not a what. Peace is a who. Because here's why. Listen to me. If peace is a what, then peace is ever-changing. Give you some examples. Oh, I'd be at peace if we could just get pregnant and have kids. Well, now you're pregnant with kids. Oh, I'll be at peace if we can just have a healthy pregnancy. Well, now you've had a healthy pregnancy. Oh, I'll be at peace if we can just deliver a healthy baby. Well, now you've delivered a healthy baby. Oh, I'll have peace if we can just get them home safely. Well, now you've got them home safely. Oh, I'll just have peace if they'll sleep at night. Well, now they don't sleep at night. <laughs> Tricked you. Oh, I'll have peace if we can just get those little plastic things that we can put in the sockets all over so they don't stick their fingers in it. But then they get older and you realize they don't have a little plastic thing for the opposite sex. 
And so now you're all stressed about dating, right? And even though you tell them they can't date till they're 42, they don't believe you. So then you have to kill them. It's a really weird process. I, I, I'll just have peace. I just have peace if they can get in a car and not have a car accident, right? I'll just have peace if they find the right spouse. I'll just have peace if they get into college. I'll just have peace if they get the right job. I'll just have, here's what I'm learning from my parents. They still don't have peace about me. I'm a grown man. And they're still like, well, baby, did you get home safe? Have you eaten? Because you never have peace, right? If it's a what? Well, if, I, if I'll just get a job, I'll have peace. I got a job. Oh, if I just make enough money, I'll have peace. You make enough money. Now I need to make more money. I'll be at peace, right? If I can just put money in savings, I'll be at peace. If we can pay off a little bit. I'm telling you, no matter what it is that we need peace in, if it's a what, it's ever changing. But if our peace is in who, then while I'm trying to get pregnant, my peace is in Jesus. While I'm walking out my pregnancy, my peace is in Jesus. While we're giving birth to a baby boy or a baby girl or twins or triplets, my peace is in Jesus. When I'm driving home with them in the back seat, my peace is in Jesus. When I'm trying to sleep at night, my peace is in Jesus. When they're walking and I don't want them to fall, my peace is in Jesus. When I'm trying to put plastic things into electrical sockets, my peace is in Jesus. When they start to talk to a boy for the first time, you punch him and then your peace is in Jesus. You show them your peace. I'm no, just kidding. <laughs> Holy Spirit, gone. Jesus wants for us, this is so good, the same thing he wanted for the disciples in the middle of the storm, to have faith in him. That in the middle of the trouble, have faith in him. I thought it was so funny that they put that extra statement about Jesus being on a cushion, asleep. So random, right? And then I remembered, somebody's writing this. The rumor is that Mark's writing it and Peter's speaking it. So that would have been Peter's perspective, that Peter, he remembered that detail. That's how extreme it was for him that Jesus was sleeping, that he went in to put the detail. He was asleep on a cushion. And then I thought about this. Whenever you're in a moment where you're concerned about your safety, don't you often look to the person who's in control? Like Darla and I went on a missions trip to Belize. And we were responsible for doing ministry for all the pastor's kids. And so we would do services at night, small groups in the morning. And then we were responsible to just hang out with them during the day. And so there were all these cool events planned. And one of them, we were going to go snorkeling in the ocean. And, and we went out into the ocean. And we're in this little bitty boat, two or three boats of us. And, you know, I, I mean, it's not like, a, you know, it's a literal, little, little bitty boat. So I can see the whole water. I can touch the water from the boat. And we're going out into the ocean, and, we, and, and everybody's kind of talking, doing their own thing. I'm focused because I'm scared, you know what I mean? Because I shouldn't be in water. I was made for land. That's how God created us. And so I, I need to be in where I can touch with my toes. And so we get in the boat, and I'm looking. And all of a sudden, I look around, and there's sharks and stingrays all around us. And I'm like, this is not of Jesus. Like, this is something's wrong with this. And so what do I do? I look to our guides because I'm, I'm expecting to look at them and them be completely scared. Like, oh, my gosh, what do we do? And they're like talking, having a good old time, enjoying it. And I'm like, okay, I'm a little bit of peace because they're not freaking out. So then why should I freak out? Then they stopped the boat. I said, why are we stopping the boat? They said, we're going to get in the water. I said, no, we're not. <laughs> nope, nope, Savior, he lives. We're not, nope, not happening. 
But once again, I looked at them, and they were calm. So I was like, well, I guess this is what we do. So we got in the water, and we swam with sharks, and we swam with stingrays. Now, they were little sharks, don't let me make you know. I was in a plane crash, you know what I mean? They were little sharks. Sorry, babe. But at one point, I'm, I'm going up under the water, looking at fish under the boat, and I come up, and I'm on the water where my head's sticking out, but I'm looking under, and I feel something smacking me on the top of my head. And I think it's one of these little snotty-nosed kids, and I look up, and it's the tail of a stingray. And it's just hitting me like this. Now, the problem with this is, if y'all recall or not, the, the manliest man in the world, uh, Steve Irwin, the crocodile hunter, had just been killed by a stingray. I'm not Steve Irwin, and so why am I in the water with a stingray? You know what I mean? Like, this is, I'm, I'm, I think I'm about to die. This is what's going to happen. But once again, I'm looking at the guide, and the guide's just cool with it. As the stingray smacks me in the face, he's just like, ha <laughs> laughing. And it was crazy to me, because in all of these moments of complete fear and trouble, all I did was look at the person who was in control to see, well, what are they doing? And once again in this boat, all the disciples had to do was to look to Jesus to see what he was doing. And I think that might have been why he was sleeping. But how do we do that, Troy? How do we look to Jesus? That's what the scriptures are for. That's what prayer is for. That when you and I are in trouble, we need to look to the one who is in control. Let me look to scripture. Let me pray. Let me be able to find if I can have peace in the middle of this problem. Even when our hearts are troubled, even when you're in the middle of a tough time, you are still deeply and fully loved by God. He sees you and he understands you. Our fears and our worries are not too much for him. Watch this. Nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. Ben, let me invite you up real quick. I want to I give you one more thought for us to kind of set in this morning. Because here's what I've taught you so far. I've taught you that in this world there will be trouble, right? I've taught you that no matter how saved or unsaved you are, you're going to experience trouble. But Jesus will be with you. He's with you. And that in the middle of a problem, you can have peace. And that what you need to do is you need to look to the Father for your ability to know he's in control. But here was my problem. None of that necessarily helps you when you're right in the middle of it. You know what I mean? Like when you first get the phone call, when the first moment the news breaks, like there's that moment that's really tough. And I never wanted to pastor a church that gave you kind of this good news, future hope mindset and then sent you out to figure it out. And then you go home and you get a phone call and they passed or it's a report or you lost your job or whatever and then all of this fear hits and you don't really know what to do with it. And so I'm studying Mark 4, studying it, studying it, studying it, going, Jesus, I know you are our peace in the midst of our problem, but I think you're more than that. I think it's more than setting up principles and that kind of thing. Like I think there's, I think there's, something, there's something else to it. And remember I told you I read that the Bible says a furious squall came up. Remember that? And I'm reading it, and I'm like, I've never said the word squall in my entire life. 
why would that be in the Bible? Why, what, what is a squall? I thought maybe it was a bird. Maybe, you know, I don't know, I didn't quite know what that meant, a furious squall. And I looked it up, and you can imagine the definition of it is storm. But what got me was the third definition. Because when you Google squall, do this when you get home. When you Google squall, these, these three definitions pop up. And the very last one, the third one, was a loud, harsh cry. And all of a sudden, it started to make more sense to me. Jesus is in the boat, sound asleep, and the cry of trouble doesn't wake him up. He's in the boat, asleep, and the loud cry of trouble doesn't even make him blink an eye. Ready? But the second his children cry, the moment the cry shifts from trouble to his children, he's wide awake. He's up. He's ready to go. What does that mean for you and me? It means that no matter what we're doing, no matter the process we're learning, no matter how hard we're working at having peace in the middle of a problem, the second we feel overwhelmed, all we got to do is cry out to Jesus. Jesus! I don't know what to do. Jesus, I need you. I don't know what. I need you. Because the cry of whatever you're going through will not even cause him to open an eye. But the second you cry out, the second you say, Father, I need you, boom, he's there. Give me a favor, everybody, stand with me, stand with me. Y'all smoking me out up here, I can't, I can't see, feel like I'm in how high, part three. Every parent You'll appreciate this because you know what it's like to be in the middle of doing something and hearing the cry of your children. And as a parent, you got two different cries, right? You got that fake cry, but then you got the real cry. And as a parent, the moment you hear that real cry, you stop what you're doing, what you're doing and you run to your children. Where do you think we get that from? Everything we do good as parents, we get from God. It's the same process. And so here's what I want to encourage you to do. Here's what we're going to end this this day. We're going to close our eyes and we're going to worship a little bit. But I'm going to ask you that whatever it is you're dealing with right now, whatever the trouble is that you're facing, I'm going to ask you to speak the name of Jesus over that. You just say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need your help. I need your help with my kids. I need your help with my marriage. I need your help with my finances. I need your help with my mind, with my mental health. I I need your help. Jesus, come on, right now, just begin to think about it. Whatever it is. Father, we pray right now for every situation being represented in this room that's trouble, that's a problem. Your word says we can have peace in the middle of the problem. And when the disciples were on the boat and they were feeling overwhelmed, the Bible says they went and spoke to you, Jesus. And you woke up. You rebuked it and you stopped it. 
So right now, we're just coming to you, Father, with whatever it is that we're dealing with. And we're speaking your name over it. Jesus, we pray right now. We pray for marriages. Jesus, we pray for kids. Come on, you got to make it specific to your life right now. We pray for babies that are soon to be born. We pray for wombs that won't open. We pray for broken hearts, family members who've lost loved ones, people who are looking for their loved ones, families, finances. Father, we just speak your name over every bit of it. Have your way in this place.